You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to a brand new year on the Team Guru Podcast. I'm guessing you've been up and running for 2019 for quite a while now. I hope your year is off to a flying start. We're back, a little late, admittedly, after a lovely extended break over the summer. We're in for another big year on the Team Guru podcast. In 2018, we welcomed more of you, our valued listeners to the podcast. Just about every episode we put out last year broke the previous record for downloads. Our audience just continues to grow. Thank you so much for being part of it. If you're new to the show, perhaps it's your New Year's resolution to seek new ideas and information, then welcome to you. My name's David Frizzell. I'm the host of the Team Guru podcast, and I assure you, I don't normally talk for this long at the beginning of a show. I'm just a bit excited about the new year. In 2019, we'll keep working to improve the show. I'll continue my quest for perfect audio quality. I just want to make the listening experience more pleasant for you. We'll keep tracking down quality guests, each of whom will bring their own particular wisdom and expertise to our pursuit of personal growth and professional growth. We'll deliver a new episode every second week in 2019, except for the first two weeks where we'll hit you with two in a row. My first guest for the year is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Dr. Ron is here to help us all get the year off to the best possible start by helping us think intelligently about our health. For decades, he's made it his mission to help people take control of their health. And thank goodness for people like Dr. Ron. There are increasingly worrying signs about the state of our bodies and our health in general. Rates of cancer and obesity have reached near epidemic levels. Prescription drug abuse and autoimmune diseases debilitate or kill hundreds of thousands of Australians every year. Modern life has also taken a major psychological toll on all of us. Diagnoses of depression, anxiety, conditions like ADHD continue to increase at staggering rates. Dr. Ron believes that many of these issues can be traced to our inability to cope with stress our poor diet, and, of course, our lack of exercise. In the first of my two-part conversation with Dr. Ron, he reveals the principles behind his holistic health philosophy. We discuss the real reason behind the obesity epidemic and much, much more. I hope you enjoy part one of my conversation with Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Ron Ehrlich, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thanks, David. Ron, you know, I barely know where to start with this. It is just such a fantastic topic. Your book, enormous as it is, is absolutely riveting. This is an incredible topic. I, I wanted to get you on the show because I thought I needed someone to come on and talk about health, but I just didn't know I was getting someone of your caliber. Like I said, I, I barely know where to start. I'll try and give this some shape because there's just so much to talk about. 
for the listeners, we're, we're basically going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about the extent to which, as a society, we're unhealthy. We're going to talk about the things that are making us unhealthy. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the simple things that we can do to take control of our life and, and become the healthiest version of ourselves that we can. Ron, let's start with that first question. As a society, just how unhealthy are we? Well, there are some worrying signs. And, uh, you know, I think uh, when you look at the statistics, I mean, the, the number one killer after 40 years of low-fat dogma and cholesterol is the evil and statins are going to save us, after 40 years, uh, heart disease is still number one. Number two, close behind, is cancer. And uh, I doubt whether any of your listeners would not know somebody in their immediate circle of friends or family or even themselves who hasn't had some experience of cancer. In fact, the statistics are something like one in two men and one in three women by the age of 60 will contract cancer. Yeah. Now, yeah. that's, you know, that's kind of quite startling. And, and if you think it's because we're getting older, uh, the statistics don't bear that out either. I mean, there is a factor of that too. But when you correct for age... It turns out that since 1975, when we declared the war on cancer, uh, cancer rates have gone up something like 25 to 30%, and kids' cancer is on the rise too. So aging population doesn't really account for kids and ever younger people also contracting it. So cancer, number two. Uh, turns out that prescription medications are actually number three killer, but we'll park that one for a moment. There are about 80 autoimmune conditions. Now, that's actually the body attacking itself. They are, if it was uh, gut problems, it's like celiac disease, uh, IBS, irritable bowel, Crohn's, colitis. Uh, if it was uh, thyroid, underactive, overactive, thyroid's a problem. Uh, if it's nerves, it's um, multiple sclerosis. Parkinson's, so heaps and heaps of autoimmune conditions, the body attacking itself, diabetes through the roof, obesity, a major problem, mental health. Well, I interviewed somebody recently who, uh, a psychologist who told me that 25% of kids under the age of 18 have been diagnosed with anxiety wow. and, and depression is another problem for kids. Mm. And, uh, and so the list goes on. And actually, when you do look at our kids, and I think it's interesting whether you have kids or not, to look at our kids because they are the most vulnerable in our society and they are, if you like, the canaries in the coal mine. And when you look at kids, one in three kids have allergies, one in four have asthma, one in 10 have ADHD, one in 100 in Australia have uh, autism, and in parts of America, that's down to one in 50. And to put that in perspective, about 30 years ago, it was one in 5,000. So something seriously is going on with our health, and it's not really all that pretty. And as you say, and you make the point very well in your book, we're often told, and we, we jump to the conclusion of, oh, we're, we're getting sicker and cancer's prevalent. And you're right, there's no one listening to this podcast who hasn't been touched by cancer in their life in some way. We write that off in our own mind and just anecdotally through society as well, we're living longer. But as you make the point very well in your book, and you just did it, said it then, when you allow for the extra age that we're living, those things that you just described are still going through the roof. So what on earth are we doing so badly? What has changed in society that is giving us all of these outcomes? And why is it not 
the thing that we all talk about all the time. I mean, we know that we're getting fatter. And we, we, we learned a few years ago that Australia officially became the fattest country in the world after rivaling the US for so long. But apart from that, the occasional quirky news story, we just don't hear about it. I mean, you made a, you, you, you gave us some really wonderful stats early in your book where you reminded us that in the, the World Health Organization said that in 2012, 120,000 people globally died in war or military conflict. 800,000 people committed suicide and 1.5 million people died of diabetes. But what is it that leads our news headlines night after night? I know, I know. It's look, it's uh, look, it's one of the reasons why I've written that book and why I put it in the order in which I did and I think a really important point is to understand where we've gone wrong. Because ultimately, the conclusion you reach at that point, once you understand it, because it's a story that is very easy to miss, but once you understand it, it's a story that's very difficult to ignore. And the conclusion mm. that I reached at the end of that stage, and it's something that I, that part of it I've been interested in for over, well, 25 years, is the only conclusion you can reach is that your health is just too important to leave to anybody else. You've got to take control of it yourself. And as far as I know, we only get one shot at this life. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, if, if you had to give yourself one rule, one commandment, if you like, I think it's to fulfill your potential. And if you're going to fulfill your potential, and that means as an individual, as a family member, as a partner, as a part of a community, as a part of a business, whatever it is you choose to do or be, being healthy is a really, really important part of fulfilling your potential. So I think the first thing is to understand where we've gone wrong. I mean, and, and actually, when you look at it, I think there have been some really serious public health messages. I mean, public health messages are notoriously confusing and often contradictory. And when you dig deeper into them, you realize that, look, the role of the food and the pharmaceutical industry in all levels of healthcare. Now, that is from government regulatory bodies to uh, scientific journals to universities, right to the doctor's surgery and right onto our dinner plate is part of what this problem, where it is. We have, you know, we've for the last, uh, well, since the 80, 1980s, We've had this sort of uh, free market economy, this uh, economic mm. rationalism, a shareholder supremacy, you know, the bottom line, we get quoted GDP. I mean, you know, we get quoted uh, the Dow Jones every day. We get quoted, I used to think Dow Jones was a department store, but, uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the FTSE 500, and I thought that was a dance. And But we, we seem to have to hear those statistics all the time. And and so we've, we've come to a point where health and the very food that we need to be healthy, to live, have become commodities. And that's a mm. problem because what we've ended up with is a healthcare system that is actually a chronic disease management system. I mean, let's face it, if you had a crisis, there is no better place to be than in our healthcare system. I mean, you know, I've been the beneficiary of it. I'm sure everybody that's listened to this podcast knows somebody who has, if not themselves, you know, we've all benefited from that crisis therapy. But by and large, it's become a chronic disease management system. And that is a great economic model. I mean, it's literally fed by the chemical and the food industry. 
and then it's managed by the pharmaceutical and the health industry. And if you want to be part of that ep- economic model, if you just want to say, look, I think healthcare, I'll, if I have a problem, I'll just let the health system take care of me. If that's your attitude, then you have a system that is waiting to embrace you with open arms. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think that is the best way for us as individuals to go in order to fulfill our potential. So, you know, I kind of, I think it's a really important thing to explore. And then so they get down to some real basics about some of the myths that have driven this, this health crisis we find ourselves in. And one of those ones, of course, is this whole low-fat dogma and the food pyramid, which was essentially a construct of the uh, US Department of Agriculture in the 1970s, whose main role is to sell grains. And so the food pyramid was a construct not based on health, but based on economy. And then there was an argument going on in the 60s and 70s about whether the real problem was sugar or fat. And uh, and it turned out that uh, the sugar industry won out and actually it helped support a lot of research and the whole fat is bad dogma came up and that lends itself to a really easy public health message. You know, if you eat too much fat, you're going to get mm. fat. And so yeah. that that is, um, you know, when you're in a busy doctor's surgery, when the research starts to come your way and you, you say, well, I want to practice evidence-based medicine and it shows me that fat is bad and saturated fat is bad and cholesterol's a demon – when you're actually sitting in your doctor's surgery in a busy surgery, you're looking for answers, you're looking for quick solutions, fat is bad, cholesterol is bad, here's a tablet that will lower your cholesterol and solve the problem, it lends itself to a practice management that is easier to implement than starting to talk to people about more complex health issues. So that's part of where the problem really kicked off. I mean, as soon as we bought into that, people started to become hungry. And as soon as people started to become hungry, they started to consume the overabundance of seemingly cheap food that surrounds us everywhere. And I say seemingly cheap because if you factor in health- and You the, pay a pretty big price. And the environmental costs, then that's it's not so cheap in the end. So that was what kicked it off. And I think the other thing about deregulation- was that over the last 40 or 50 years, the amount of chemicals that we're exposed to uh, have just gone through the roof. You know, we are exposed to about 140,000 different chemicals. It goes up by about 2,000 chemicals every year. Very few. We make the assumption that they're all regulated and they've all been tested, but it's a bit surprising to learn that only a very small, two, three, four, five percent of those chemicals have gone through any rigorous testing And when they have gone through testing, they've gone through testing one at a time over a short period of time on usually healthy university students, and then they're passed. And that's not how we're exposed to chemicals. We're exposed to chemicals several at a time. And the synergistic effect of one, you know, it's like one plus one does not equal two, not when it comes to chemicals. One plus one might equal 10. And when you add another chemical to it, et cetera. So there's a whole chemical experiment we're all part of as well as a part of this this revolution that we've been living through. And then, you know, we talk about stress and I think, you know, everybody would acknowledge whenever I've told anybody, I've written a book called The Lifeless Stress, they've all said, oh, I've got to read that book. And I hope they yeah. do. I hope they do. But everybody relates to stress. And, and you know, like uh, 
There was a survey done on 53% of Australian workers surveyed felt that they were overwhelmed by stress. And, and interestingly, 80% of business leaders felt it was a really big problem in their workplace. So, you know, stress is now ubiquitous. It's almost worn as a badge of honour. You know, I'm stressed. Yeah, I'm so stressed and all this. So, yeah. so you know, I think that we've kind of laid the foundations for some very dodgy public health messages, this idea that calories in, calories out, be on low fat, cholesterol's a problem, you know, you're not exercising enough, which, you know, there's a certain amount of truth to that last one. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to provide people with, you know, a health message, it's got to work. And for a lot of people, they think they're doing the right thing by eating everything, low fat, I'm low fat. And you look around. In fact, I looked at a photo recently of, of a beach scene. This was in The Guardian, The Weekly Guardian, a beach scene in 1976. And you looked around in England, this was, and very few people were obese. You take yeah. any photo in any place in Australia, well, you said it, in Australia, in the UK, in, in, in the United States, every second person. Fat people. Fat people everywhere and fat people that are trying to do the right thing. It's just they've got the wrong advice. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. So what is going so wrong? I look around, I'm very conscious of health. I look around and I see people who are carrying a lot of weight, Ron. You know, I'm I'm looking at people who are weighing over, you know, 100, 110, 20, 30 kilos, carrying around great slabs of fat on their limbs and around their torso. Mm. And I think, where did you get that from? Yeah. Do, you, do you go home from work and just eat until the minute you come back? Because it seems to me some people are so big that it would have to be a full-time job, but obviously it's not because so many people are that big, it must be easy to put on that kind of weight. Well, it is. And, you know, this is why that low fat was really kicked us off because we've had a relationship with fat literally for millions of years. Fat mm. is an important part of our body, our brain, every cell in our body. We need fat for energy. We need fat. It's, look, it's like if you imagine your body like a fireplace, you know, that's your metabolism and you need to stoke the fire. Well, if you are on a low-fat diet, you are feeding that – you have to feed that fire. It's like feeding it kindling. Low-fat food is like kindling, and you just got to sit by the fire the whole time and feed it, right. feed it, feed it. Yeah. Okay. If you were on healthy fats, it's like taking a big log, putting it on the yeah. fire, and now you can go away and do other things. So yeah. what it, okay. and, and, of course, you know, this is where it gets really interesting about – Corporate influence. And, you know, David, we're just going through a banking industry in Australia, mm. you know, the Royal Commission, mm. and we're finding that, oh, dear, the financial institutions that we put our money in for safekeeping are giving us advice that isn't good for our finances. What a shock. Well, guess yeah. what? The corporations or the organisations that are supposed to be giving us health advice are being sponsored by the very companies that benefit from an effective and a flourishing chronic management system, chronic health management system. So we have a fundamental problem, and that's why getting back to basics, understanding what the issues are, and realizing that while the world we live in is becoming increasingly more complicated, no question about it, 
the solutions are actually remarkably simple. So for those people that are, are obese, I, you know, it's so easy to blame them, but in fact, they are victims of some very, very poor advice. And compounded mm. by that is another epidemic that's going on, and we can talk about that later on, but another epidemic that's going on is sleep. There's an epidemic of poor sleep, and that combined with poor public health messages sets us up for failure. It's very tempting to get angry at our political masters, uh, at the people who we look to for guidance. It's tempting to get angry because they're compromised. They have conflicts of interest. The organizations that are supposed to give us health advice, as you say, are compromised because they're taking money from the very companies that profit from us being unhealthy, whether it's companies that sell food that's full of sugar or whether it's companies that sell drugs and they want us to be chronically sick and they want to expand the definition of who is sick so more and more people are on their medication for the rest of their life. That's the that's the holy grail for a pharmaceutical company is to get as many people as they can on their medication for life. And we're taking health messages from organizations who are either the same as those organizations or are very closely related to them. Our government, the people who feed us full of economic information as if that is the be all and end all, again, are, are lobbied and donated to as political parties by organizations that have a vested interest in us being sick. It, it hurts to think about that, Ron, and it's very tempting to get angry about it. And it's really important that we understand it, of course. But I guess when it's all said and done, you can get angry like I feel right now, or you can calm do down, what David, you suggest in your book <laughs> and think about the difference between having an internal or an external locus of control and say, hey, I might be being lied to. I might be being let down by my government and health organizations but it's actually me who needs to take ownership of my own health to educate myself so I can make good decisions and then have the discipline to make those good decisions. Yeah, well, I think that, that is, that's exactly right. And I think one of the things I will say in defense of health organizations is that since this period of market deregulation, financial, you know, the economic rationalism, they have had to contend for themselves. And so they, in order to survive, they need corporate support to survive. And that, that's mm. just the simple fact of it. Look, I think this, uh, you know, we're going through a really interesting time politically. Certainly, I mean, when you, when you look at what goes on in America and, and how that's all unfolded and you look at the carry-on in Australia, you know, I think one of the things, the lessons that I take away from this is that being apathetic doesn't work. It gets us to the point we're at now politically. And being apathetic doesn't work health-wise either. So, you know, yeah, I think, uh, you know, in defence of health organisations, they've had to go out and get funding. I personally think that all of these organisations should be <laughs> – this is a terrible thing to say, David – but I think they should be shut down. No corporate influence should be allowed – and there should be just an, a government-sponsored health and wellness institute that, that assesses good public health advice. And, and I think then we get a lot further. But for the time being, the change has to come from the ground up, from you, from me, from us as individuals. And that's the takeaway message that I think is an important one to convey. 
You talked about so much before that I, I want to come back to. I, I don't know whether I'll get back to it all, but you mentioned being stressed. We've talked about being stressed on my show many times. I want to understand from you, are we really more stressed? Are there things in our life that are really more stress uh, stressing or do we are we living lives where we demand more perfection? Are we just trying to cram too much in? What's the story around stress? Are we really more stressed? If we are, what's leading to it? Why now in a in an era of humanity where life should really be at its easiest? We have so many conveniences. We have so much access to the things that could make us happy and healthy, yet we report being so stressed. What's behind that, Ron? Yeah, well, I think this is, there's a lot behind that, I think. And it's all <laughs> rel- it's all relative too, you know, like I, I think we hear a lot daily news about some terrible things going on around the world. You know, if we casted our mind back a hundred years, can you imagine getting a news report saying 10,000 people died in a battle today or over the yeah. last three months, 300,000, yeah. 500,000? I mean, there's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. But the point, or go through a depression, or go through a famine, or go through a whole yeah. lot of other tragedies. Yeah. But the problem, so we've got it pretty good, really, haven't well, we? We have, and we've actually never had it better, in all honesty. But the problem is stress is all relative. So what is stressful to you today is very real. You know, the fact yeah. that someone else may have been more stressed than you a week ago or is currently more stressed than that you. That doesn't help me. It doesn't help. So I think mm. there are a few fundamental drivers there. One is well, I've talked about the food and I've talked about the sleep and we can come back to all of that. But the other one is we're encouraged constantly to be good consumers. You mm. know, like yeah, uh, not good citizens. Not good, good citizens. Consumers. Good consumers. And and mm. that and we are promised, you know, we're constantly bombarded by images of what people have, what people look like, what people should have. And then we're given credit in a way to go out and buy whatever it was we wanting, you know, yeah. we wanted. And so we buy into the whole system. And I think it's important to take a step back from that and and sort of do an audit, if you like, to, to decide what is important in your life. And, and invariably, I think most people would agree relationships are the key, you know, meaningful, healthy, loving, caring relationships are the key and work backwards from that. What is it that we need? Mm. And so I think it's an opportunity. Physical health would have to be really high on that. Really high on that. And so, so you know, I think uh, I think that's the, the sort of take-home message is, uh, you know, we need to, to recognise that so much, including health messages, are often just a commercial. You know, we're not confused mm. when we go out to buy a car. You know, Ford tell us it's got the best car. Toyota tell us it's got the best car. And we're not confused. We're not going, wow, I just don't know which car to buy. You know, we just know we're mm. being sold to. And I think gaining this awareness that the majority of health information is you being sold to and uh, and this confusing and contradictory messages, you know, if if knowledge is power, then confusion is is disempowering. And as mm. soon as you cast your hands up in the air and go, oh, look, what the hell? Last week I was told low fat. This time I'm told fat. Last time I yeah. was told this. That time I'll eat whatever I want and I'll drink whatever I want and be done with it because they can't make up their minds. Just yeah, throw your hands up and give up. And that's and right. obvious. And, and if you've thrown your hands in the air and given up trying to understand all the confusing messages and you just eat what you want, then chances are the things that appeal to you are bad for you because they're designed that way. Look, I, I completely buy into your core tenet there that 
because of all that confusion and all of that cross-pollination of interests across those who have our best interests at heart being bought out by those who don't, I understand that the core tenant is that I have to take control of my own health, and that's great. And I, I completely buy into that. And I love mm-hmm. your analogy that when I go to buy a car, of course they're going to tell me they've got the best car because they're trying to sell it. But what's really difficult to take is that when this advice about our health, which is advice about our life, our ability to stay alive as a human being, is not just being sold to, but deliberately wrapped up in a way that is meant to be misleading. They're they're using things like the Heart Foundation tick on food that we buy as a way to deliberately mislead us into buying things thinking they're good for us, but are actually bad for us. And someone has just bought that tick or bought that star rating. And to make it even worse, we had a health minister a few health ministers ago who was very much in bed being lobbied by and taking donations from the confectionery industry. And as she, as the health minister was putting out a new star rating, being heavily influenced, if not the legislation being drafted by the sugar industry. I mean, I get that I've got to take ownership for myself, mm. but that is just outright misleading in misleading the vast majority of people on the most important thing to them, which is their physical health. Yeah, well, look, that's why I covered that in the first part of my book, and I don't like to dwell on anger, and I don't like to Mm. dwell on, on, um, yeah, I just don't think it's a very constructive thing. I think what you come away from it is thinking, yeah, got to take control. And once you've accepted that and you ask Mm. me about stress and, and I say, yes, we are more stressed. And the problem is in our modern world, you have to, in order to solve a problem, you've really got to know what that problem is. And in our modern world, stress is not just emotional stress. Stress is anything that upsets the balance or homeostasis. Every day, our body's trying to maintain a balance. Every cell in our body's trying to maintain a balance. And that's called homeostasis. And anything that upsets that balance is stressful. So that's why I then go on to, once you've accepted, I think most of our listeners would probably now have accepted, yeah, I've got to take control of my own health. Then, okay, stress is a problem. What is stress in our modern world? And I have over the last really 35 years, it's incredible to say that, David, humbling, (laughs) but over the last 35 years in my clinical practice, I have used a model of stress that I really believe at least asks all the right questions. And it says, yes, our health is affected by stress. But stress is a combination of emotional, environmental, nutritional, postural, and dental stress. And, uh, you know, we can talk about that last one. It surprises people, but I include it for anybody with a mouth who's interested in their health but has never fully connected the two. So those are the five stress models that I use. Now, just because in my practice, I focus on the dental stress, obviously, That doesn't mean it's the only stress that's affecting people, clearly. And I like to encourage my patients to understand that these are the stresses that we are dealing with on a daily basis. These are the stresses that are constantly compromising, potentially compromising our system. And so in order to deal with that, you need to be able to identify them and minimize them because that's a great foundation from which to then move on to, you know, being healthy. 
Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. We're going to get very soon, I'm, I'm going to ask you very soon to start talking about your five pillars because we've talked enough and I've gotten annoyed and you've been very <laughs> articulate and clinical and knowledgeable about breaking down just how unhealthy we are and why we're so unhealthy. I'm going to get you to go through your five pillars soon, but I, I, I want to ask a few questions before we get there because I've scribbled down a bunch of stuff as you've been talking. It's it's fascinating and it's it's dense stuff. Just as an aside, we, you talked about the difference between a, a photo on the beach uh, 40 years ago and what you might see today if you just glanced around anywhere in our community. I take delight. I love cricket, Ron, and I take delight when it rains. They throw up some classic games from the 70s and 80s. And have you ever noticed the crowd in those games from the 70s and 80s? Not only have, are they in the baking sun with their shirt off because they slip, slop, slap hadn't come around by then, but they're also rake thin. I mean, almost to an individual, everyone in the crowd is just rake thin in the 70s and 80s. And again, if that same scene was to be repeated in 2018, people wouldn't have their shirt off for a start. There would be a whole bunch of blubbering messes, a few people in between. But the other thing there would be would be these huge, enormous, muscular things that are everywhere in society that just didn't exist in previous generations. And that leads me to my question. In my mind, from just what I notice anecdotally, there is this enormous paradox. We are getting fatter and more unhealthy as a nation. But at the same time, the fitness industry is booming. Hmm. More people are doing triathlon, are doing fun runs, half marathons and marathons than ever before. I love swimming, Ron. I do lots of ocean swims. Ocean swims are booming. Every year I go along, there are more people at an ocean swim than there were the year before. Fitness boot camps popping up in parks everywhere. The park run phenomena is going gangbusters and they're popping up everywhere and everyone knows what they are these days, whereas a few years ago, no one had ever heard of them. Explain that paradox to me. Which side am I misreading? Well, it's this kind of, and this is another one of those health messages about calories in, calories out. You know, it's like if our bodies were a closed system, that might make sense, but they're not. And uh, so this idea that the reason you're fat is because you're just not exercising enough is wrong. I mean, it's just simply mm -hmm. wrong. I mean, we, there is a lot. I mean, inactivity is a problem. Let's say that. That's, that is true. I mean, there was a there was a kind of um, uh, there, well, not a kind of there was a, 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 a survey done, and, and it said that sixty two percent of the workforce are doing no exercise or less than one hour of exercise per week. Now, that's wow. self, that's self reporting, so I think that's probably yeah. an exaggeration. It's probably more like seventy or eighty percent. It's probably better. It's probably worse than that. Yeah, it's worse than that. So, so yeah, inactivity is a problem, but it's about the food we're eating. You know. I think there are some fundamental problems. We talked about fat, but here's another one. When in human history was three meals a day and morning and afternoon tea a part of the human experience? And uh, that in itself, now I've spoken to health experts on my podcast on cancer, on heart disease, on autoimmune, on mental health, and the key thing is insulin levels. The lower the insulin level, the better. And we are just, I think we should explore hunger. You know, part, yeah. we've, we've really got into, you know, the paleo diet has become really popular and 
learning about what our ancestors ate and didn't eat. But a, a part that's missed in all of that, and I think that's a good thing, by the way, I think we do need to look back on w- what got us to this point. But what another factor that got us to this point was something called hunger. Yeah, that very you know, few people you, feel anymore. Yeah, that's right. We've we kind of got to this point where we, as a, our bodies, are well adapted to going through periods of scarcity and then dealing with that and then eating and then dealing with more scarcity and hunger. So this, I, I think, is another part of the problem that that I know it sounds obvious. We're eating too much, but. But yeah, we should be too often. We, well, too often, and you know, I think that is going to be a really big breakthrough in the next few years. I think you're going to find people are going to wake up to the fact that actually only eating one or two meals a day is perfectly fine. Yes, wow. the first week or so may be a little difficult, maybe two weeks. But how many more weeks of your life do you want to live? You know, so yeah. and live well. So exploring hunger building some of that into your daily and weekly routine and occasionally fasting. I mean, you know, every religion in the world's history has always included some sort of fast into their life, into their spiritual life. And that has actually built on a very important physiological fact that we are, it's a really healthy thing to explore and explore regularly, not just once a year or twice a year, but explore every single day, explore every single week. And that, I believe, will make a big difference because, you know, there's a lot of good exercise going on and a lot of good intentions. But, you know, this is something that I think will be the big breakthrough. Not only will people gain a healthier relationship with fats, and we can talk about that, but also the importance of exploring hunger. It's such an interesting point, that concept that we're just not hungry anymore. Ron, I run a lot of workshops in my role as a leadership consultant. And whenever an organization books me to come along and they book the venue and, you know, here we go, we've booked this venue and here is morning tea time, lunchtime, afternoon tea time. And I just think to myself, when else do we eat four meals in between the hours of nine and five? But we seem to do it on workshop days as if it's a bit of a treat. And there's another client I spent a lot of time with. And whenever something nice happens there, someone gets a, you know, we get a, a, a new member of staff and they, they bring someone on or someone's leaving or someone's going on holidays or someone has a baby or someone has a birthday. You know what we do? We stand around a table full of sugar and we celebrate it that way. There seems to be no other way that we know to celebrate things. So that concept that, and, and yeah, as you say, it's such a simple one. We're just eating too much. Yes, we are just eating too much. It's too much part of what we like, what we tend to do, what brings us together as human beings. Surely there are other things that can bring us together as human beings than standing around a table full of terrible food. Yeah, well, you know, that's 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 exactly right. And we could even talk about alcohol as another one. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, go off alcohol for a little while. I mean, I think that's a good thing to do. I think it's important to benchmark yourself to realize how well you can feel. Because after that, mm. at least you've got something to compare it to. If you feel like crap all the time, you just think that's the way life is. Well, it's not. If you actually mm. bothered to benchmark yourself and commit for say, two or three months of your life to see how well you could feel, then you know what you're compromising. And alcohol is a really good example. I mean, it is another one of those ubiquitous things. Any celebration, any, yeah. anything you do, 
you know, the end of a hard day's work. You've done something yeah. well. You've done something badly. Something's gone well. Something's gone, you know. And actually, Let's when, have a drink. Yeah, when you when you do, and I know a lot of people have done this, and so they'll relate to this. As soon as they've gone off alcohol, they just realize how ubiquitous it is a part yeah. of ever, our lives. And alcohol is, you know, we're, we're just drinking a hell of a lot of it, and that's another another part of the problem. But that's all relating back to, you know, being hungry, being tired, not sleeping enough, uh, and making all sorts of decisions that aren't really um, that good for our health. That was Dr. Ron Ehrlich. He's one of the rare health professionals who doesn't rely on jargon and dogma. You can find the lessons I took from part one with my conversation with Dr. Ron in the usual place on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. In the next episode of the Team Guru podcast, we'll take a deep dive into Ron's five pillars of health and wellness. I hope you'll join me then. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.